This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would remain standing, um, Miss Jody's going to come and read the word to us this morning. Reading from NLT, 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whenever I was in the, whether I was in my body or out of my body, I do not know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weakness. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so, because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it, because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That is why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Thank you, Miss Jody. Come on, give Jesus some praise in here. Oh, yeah. Man, thank you so much for the opportunity. I, I, well, since I have the opportunity, I just want to pause and take a moment and say thank you, thank you, thank you on behalf of every B student going to summer camp um, in a couple of weeks. We had the, the fundraiser last week, and I'm happy to announce to you that we were able to fully fund. It cost $275 to go to camp. We were able to fully fund 23 and a half students to go to camp. So come on, Jesus, and thank you. I do have the great honor and the privilege of serving the next generation uh, of middle school and high school students, and, um, and we are going to camp. It's going to be the best week of the year, so I'm excited. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was in middle school or elementary school, uh, my dad was in the military, and um, there was a, a period of time where we lived on a military base, which was a lot of fun. And uh, on this particular, particular military base, 
we lived uh, in Vancouver, it was Fort Vancouver in Vancouver, Washington. And uh, on this base, we lived on the south side of the base. So we lived on the very edge of the base. And it was cool because uh, along the south side of the base were these uh, blackberry bushes. And there was a large field. And um, going up to the very edge where the gate was, there was these large blackberry bushes. And so my house, a little parking lot, and then blackberry bushes. And uh, so during the summertime, like this time of year, me and my friends would go out to the blackberry bushes and, um, of course, eat the blackberries. But we found out that inside of the blackberry bushes, it was hollow. So we would go and we would cut our way through and make like a little secret entrance. And then we would go in and it, would, it was like a canopy of blackberry bushes. But if anybody knows anything about blackberry bushes, what do blackberry bushes come with? Thorns, right? And uh, are there any horticulturists in the room today? Because I don't want to be offensive. Because if there are any horticulturists in the room, uh, the technical term is pricklies. That is, <laughs> that's legitimately the, the technical term. So I know they're pricklies. But for the sake of my message today, I am going to mess with the doctrine of horticulturists and call them thorns. Is that okay? All right. I won't do that to the word of God because I'm not trying to get struck down. (laughs) But I will. I don't have a problem messing with uh, the horticulturist doctrine. So we'll call them thorns. And so, yeah, as you know, we would cut our way through. But, of course, as we would cut our way through, the blackberry bushes would cut us back. (laughs) And we would hang out in there all day and have fun and do what, I don't know, whatever kids did back in the day. And and back in 2005, (laughs) I apologize, sir. (laughs) He said, son, you have no idea what I saw in Nam. Just kidding. But we would go back in there and we would play. And, of course, we would get cut up and we'd come out and, oh, that's a good joke. Today, my, the title of my message is The Power of a Thorn. The Power of a Thorn. Paul is writing to this church in Corinth and uh, this is his second letter to them. And uh, Pastor Mr. Ray preached an excellent message and he too preached out of 2 Corinthians. And, and, and Mr. Ray pointed out correctly that there's all kinds of craziness happening in the church in Corinth. Uh, sexual immorality and, and, and anything you can think that goes along with sexual immorality. Not just like worldly people. We're talking about people that have been saved and are going to church and studying the scripture. And, and, um, and all just all kinds of hot mess, right? And um, so, so Paul is writing to them, and, and, and he's trying to conclude this second letter here. And he says, I've prayed to God to remove this thorn from my side. You know, you've always heard the term, I've got a, a thorn in my flesh. A thorn in, you're a thorn in my side, right? And, and so Paul is writing to them, and the response that God gives to him, he says, I prayed it three times. God, remove this thorn. Take it away. I begged God to remove the thorn. 
I, I begged God to remove a pest. I, re, I begged God to, to remove a, 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 a piercing in my side, a, 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 a growth, a, a, an annoyance, a pain, a problem, a burden. I, I, I prayed to God. And he didn't show up. In fact, thorn is really kind of a, 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 ni- a nice way to, to, to put it. The, the more correct translation in the Greek is, is a stake. That he's literally been pierced with a stake in his side. And he says the answer I got back from Jesus was that my grace is enough. My, in this translation... My grace is all that you need. My power works best in weakness. As I was talking with Pastor Mark about it, that, you know, it's interesting that God didn't say, no, I'm not going to remove it. But it's just interesting to me, and we'll get to it in a moment, is that he says that Jesus says to him, says to Paul, the apostle, my grace is all that you need. My power works best in weakness. As I was thinking about a rose bush, I was, I was thinking about why did God design it with, with thorns? When God designed a, a blackberry bush, why would he put thorns on it? Like if, if it was good for us to smell and to look at and have at weddings and if they were nice to eat and go out, why would he put thorns on there? And uh, as I was thinking and praying about it, there are three reasons God puts thorns on a rose bush or a blackberry bush or a cactus. And this is my opinion. I didn't go to school for this, but this is just as I was praying about it. And then I was also thinking that it also paints an illustration of why sometimes we have a thorn in our side. And I found three reasons, and I'm going to lay them out for you. The first reason that I believe that God had put thorns, and it's the obvious reason, God had put thorns on rose bushes and cacti and blackberry bushes and the numer- and holly and the other sorts of plants that come with thorns. The, f- the first reason is to protect them, right? That's the obvious reason that even horticulturists agree, as I was doing my research, that, that the reason why they have thorns is for their protection that from, from other herbivores from coming to eat them and destroy them. And if you study a rose plant or a rose bush, that the pricklies or the thorns, they don't go up like most other thorns do, or they don't go just straight out, but there's actually like kind of a claw. They, they, they curve down. And the reason why uh, they believe that the thorns curve down is because they're not only protecting themselves from other herbivores, but they're also protecting themselves against other plants that might grow up. And so when other plants try to grow up too close to the, to the thorn bush, the, 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 the prickly or the thorn will hook on and keep it down from, from growing up too much around the rose bush so that the beauty of the rose bush couldn't be, couldn't be hidden by another plant or vine or weed. So the first reason is obviously for protection. The second reason, as I was praying about it, why, God, would you design these with, with thorns is humility. That, that it does keep the plant humble in a certain way. And really this is hard to connect until we connect it to humans. 
that, that, that Paul, a thorn in his flesh, a growth, a burden, a pain, a nuisance, a, 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 and a, a, a piercing in his side was really about humility because he goes on to talk about that I'm going to boast in my weakness. I'm going to get there in a second, but I, I want to lay out the third one. And the third one was to give glory to God. The third reason that God puts thorns on bushes and plants and, and other horticulture is to give glory to God. So Paul, there's a theologians debate this, right? What was this thorn that he was talking about? What was the thorn in Paul's side? Was it the fact that he was in chains and he's riding from jail and he has fecal matter around his feet because that's how the jails were where he was, that basically was the jail was set up in the sewer system. Was that his thorn? Was this thorn that he wanted to get to Rome and he couldn't get to Rome? Was this thorn that he, he uh, was dealing with some kind of sin issue or an insecurity about his past when he was Saul, but now he's Paul, and that's the thorn. Like uh, he, he just is, is constantly haunted by this idea that he's murdered the very people that he's serving and converting now. Is that his thorn? But as I was studying this, I think it's very clear to me, this is my opinion, and talking with some, some men that are much wiser and older than, than me, um, is that I think his thorn was people. The, the, the thorn in, in Paul's side was people. But this isn't just any kind of people. These are Christian people. <laughs> Have you ever dealt with a thorn in your side? <laughs> like, oh, they're sitting next to me right now. <laughs> does anybody like to see results? I mean, like when you work. Does it, anybody in here, anybody, anybody result-driven like me? All right, thank you for being honest, Mr. Thank you, David. Anybody like to see results? I'm result-driven. So if I know that I'm going to see results, the result could be as simple as, Ryan, good job. Ryan, it looks like you're losing weight. <laughs> Thank you. Ryan, good. I'm result-driven. I want to, the, what gets me up and what gets me going and what keeps me motivated is that I know that I'm going to see results. But the thing about fleshly, human Ryan, the, the, the man Ryan is that I want to see results that, that I believe are going to make me stronger. And not necessarily stronger like in my own sense, but, but what really gets me going is like stronger in the eyes of other people. Like I want people to believe that they're going to see me as strong. Because, I mean, let's be honest, nobody really wants to be viewed weak. Nobody wants to be really viewed as, as full of insecurities, full of weakness, full of... Man, well, look at his gut. Well, man, look at, he, he doesn't really drive that nice of a car. Oh, man, those shoes are just like blue. Uh, Result-driven. Result-driven in the sense of, man, it looks like he's getting stronger. Is anybody with me? That, that we all, I think we all desire to some degree that we desire results in the sense that I'm getting stronger. And Paul even battles with this. If you, if you go back and read the context, and I didn't for the sake of time, 
But if you go back and read chapter 11, Paul is battling with his own self in this very letter. <laughs> that he begins to talk about the things and the accomplishments that he's done. He said, I'm going to boast. I'm, and he even calls himself a fool in chapter 11. He says, I'm a fool. I'm going to boast about what I've done. And he goes on for like three or four paragraphs boasting about what he's done. And that's when we turn the page to chapter 12 and what we've read. I'm a, and that's where we picked up is I'm done boasting about what I've done. I'm done boasting about my strengths. He said, now I'm going to boast in my weakness. This is the first purpose of a thorn. The first purpose of an annoyance. And not just any annoyance. People. Um, where are the middle schoolers at? Any middle schoolers in here? All right. I know you can get louder than that, but that's all right. <laughs> They're like, oh, gosh, what? he's going to embarrass me. He's going to call me on the stage. <laughs> all right, Lily, come on up here. I'm just playing. <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> if, you ever, um, if you ever find yourself thinking that you're, um, you've got your life all together, and parents in the room, you can say amen to this. If you feel like you've got it all together and you're doing really good with God and um, you feel like you're getting good traction with your prayer life and the scriptures and the Holy Spirit, just come with what God has given you and try to teach a basement full of middle schoolers because they will humble you real quick. I love you. I love each and every, I love them so dearly. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it every single week. But I'm going to pick on you for just a second. Is that all right? I think that's fair. Right, Wyatt? I can pick on you. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> Staying up until 11 o'clock at night, preparing what I feel like God's given me. Man, I got a good word. Woo, I studied the mess out of that. I mean, I could, I, could, I could be a theologian. I don't even have a degree. I don't need a degree. I know the Greek and the Hebrew and the, and the cross-references and the whole nine. And, man, I know at least two of them are going to need this word because their mama called me and told me the mess that they were in this week. She was this close to taking their life like pow, pow. So I know this word is going to bring resurrection power. Are you down there? They're texting each other. They're not even texting somebody outside the room. They're texting each other. <laughs> and then they're like, <laughs> and then like they're laughing. I told them this the other week, so it's not news to them. They're texting, they're laughing like, <laughs> funny gifts or whatever. And they're like, oh, look. <laughs> and then like, I'm, I'm up there exposing, expounding, prolificating the word of God. <laughs> And uh, they're over there having like a giggle fest. And then my insecure self feels like they're laughing at me. Like, is my fly down? Am I sweating? Because they tell me I sweat a lot. <laughs> That'll humble you too. Have a middle. Oh, you're sweating. <laughs> you have pit stains. <clears throat> Thank you. God bless you. And your generations to come. <laughs> If you, feel, if you feel like you got your life together and God is moving in your life and you're feeling like, whoo, I've got this, boom, nothing can stop me, please, you just, you give me a 15-second notice and you come on down 
And we'll let you espouse on what God and prolificate what God has been putting on your heart to a room full. Now, I love, I love each and every one of the middle schoolers. I really, really do. But a thorn in our side that, that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth because, and, and, and he asked God to remove it three times. Pastor Mark taught me this, so I'm not going to act like I knew it. But he taught me, he said three times, why? Why not two? Why not four? Why not five? Because he has visited the city in Corinth. This is his third, this is his third visit. He's visited them three times. Now, if you know anything about this dude, Paul, when he would go from place to place, when he would go uh, to these different cities, like Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth and Rome and all the other places in between, he wasn't just going there like for fun. He was going there to plant churches, to raise people up, to, to let them know about the gospel, the good news that Jesus has come to save them, even though they're Gentiles, that, that God loves them and has a plan for them. And then he wouldn't just preach that and leave. He would set up an organization and a structure so that they can function so that he can move on and go to the next town. Now, how many of you know that is a lot of work? I mean, let's put yourself in, in Paul's shoes for a moment. You have lit, literally, you probably have a bounty over your head because now you were like one of the lead Jewish dudes and now you've co converted to Christianity. They're killing Christians in Jerusalem and in Rome and everywhere in between uh, for this. And, um, and so you've converted your whole life over to this thing and you're going to these places and literally pouring out your soul, your sweat, your tears, your blood. You are leaving, you're, you are leaving bankrupt after every single place you go mentally, physically, uh, emotionally. And so in every single place, he is, he is working himself to the bone to, to make sure that these people are structured so that they could live a life for God by the time that he leaves. And not only that, he's investing. He's investing everything that he has in his pocket. The, the guys that he's rolling with, he's, he's like, hey, bro, I need you to stay here to be with this church. I need you to go over here. I need you to stay. I know you love me. I know you want to roll with me. I know you want to do the next thing. But I, these people need you. So he's investing everything. I have to believe that Paul was a, was a results-driven dude, that, that he liked to see results that he liked to see the, 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 the churches that he was planting, the things that he was leaving behind, the things that he was investing in were bringing back a good investment, that were bringing back a yield on what he was, what he was putting into them. And yet we have Corinth that continually they, they are... They want to say, and we know these people, right? They want to say that they're living a godly life and Christian and showing up at least once a week. But their life and their actions show nothing close to that. So Paul, I imagine, is super frustrated. God, I do not want to invest another moment another penny, another prayer, another thought on these people in Corinth. I don't want to have anything to do with them because they're backstabbing me. They're talking about me. They're slandering me. They, 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 they persecute me. 
And yet I've laid it all on the line for these people. I love them so much, and yet I see nothing in return. And that is really the ultimate result that we want to see, that I lay it all on the line for you, and yet I have no reciprocation. I mean, right? I lay, I, I, how many of you have, have served in a church and you've given it all that you got? You're there when the doors open to the wind, the doors close. In fact, you're unlocking and locking the doors. How many of you have been like, man, I felt like God called me to give a seed, an offering, money above and beyond. I didn't even know how we were going to cut the check, but I did it because the pastor said it was time to do it. How many of you have served in a children's ministry or a youth ministry and you were there? You, were, you, weren't just, you weren't just serving, you were leading and organizing and doing it. All to be found out that you were just a cog in their system. That you gave it all to them and reciprocated no love. At the end of the day, they could care less whether you missed four or five Sundays. They could care less whether you had given it all. You, could, you know that they could care less whether you've been MIA from their church for six to eight years. Has any just me? A thorn in the flesh of Paul was to keep him humble so that I may not boast in what I'm doing. I'll just say this, that there is no hurt like church hurt. I mean, it'd be one thing, right, if these are just like pagans. These are just, if the one thing, if like these are just the people that he came across in Athens, right? To be expected that you would stab me in the back. To be expected that you would persecute me. To be expected that you would, uh, that you would gossip about me. To be expected that you would steal my investment and use it for something selfish. To be expected that you would reciprocate no love to me, right? I mean, for the people in the world, right, that, that aren't believers, that aren't Christians, that, that, that have no moral standard, that they don't stand on anything, that they live in darkness, to be expected, but these aren't just any old people. These aren't people that he just ran into on the street. These are people that he's poured everything into. A thorn in his side. That it would, <laughs> the answer he got back is that it would keep him humble. That as much as he wanted to boast about all of the things that he had left on the field, everything that he had left there and invested there, that it would keep him humble. The second thing, oh, that was the second thing. The first thing is that it would protect him. And the third thing is that it would give God glory. Verse 10. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness. To me, this just, this to me sounds like real spiritual. Like, man, maybe one day I can be on Paul's level. Like, like that sounds like a real cool thing. Like, maybe one day I will boast in my weakness. I will take pleasure in my weakness. Because right now I'm just keeping it real, keeping it 100 as the kids say. Uh, I don't think I can get there right now to, to boast, to take pleasure in my weakness. 
it's a, it's a battle, right? Because like I said, I'm results driven. Like I still deal with this idea that, that I want to be successful and success to me means that I'm strong. And when I'm strong, I own my own house. I have a nice car. I have a wife. I have, I have a wife. I have a picket fence. I have, a, I have, <laughs> what did I say, Miss Ann? Wise. Oh, she is wise. Amen. <laughs> That's, that means that I'm, I'm strong, that I'm successful, right? That those things, those things would constitute success in my eyes and in the eyes of people that I'm doing life with. But here Paul is saying, no, take pleasure. Boast in weakness. So you mean to tell me that I was honest with Pastor Mark last week. I'll just be honest with you. That I've, I invested my 20s to serving the church. It wasn't like intentional. I didn't sit down at 19 and be like, all right, for the next decade, I'm going to invest my 20s. For anyone that knew me during that. Sorry. Anybody that knew me during that time, and some of you have, and do have known me for that long. I, I literally laid it all on the line to be at the church and to serve middle school and high school students. And, you know, the enemy just, he, he creeps in here like this. And he says, Ryan, look what you missed out on. And I begin to look at my peers and my friends and people that are in their 30s and where they're at. Successful, owning businesses, debt-free, married college degrees moving forward now they're even having kids and um and and now their kids are having kids <laughs> they're not it feels that way <laughs> and uh, i was standing right over here and pastor mark uh, came up to me said let me pray for you he said he said, don't let the enemy lie to you and believe that you gave an, you wasted your 20s away. Because that's what I said. I said it in a joking way a few days earlier. He said, no. I boast in my weakness. I boast in my weakness that I laid it all on the line. Even though those people that I invested in, they may not even remember me. They may not know me. They may not ever reciprocate an ounce of the, the effort that I gave or I felt like I gave. And yet, here Paul is saying, I boast and I take pleasure in my weakness. I'm really trying to get there, to be honest with you. But if I'm on this journey with you, I'm trying my best to say, God, I laid it all on the line. I don't have much here on earth to show for it, but I've given it all away. And his answer back to me is that my grace is all that you need. My power works best in weakness. Ryan, I needed you to invest your 20s so that you wouldn't be able to boast in what you've done. You wouldn't be able to boast in an empire that you build here on earth. You wouldn't be able to boast about 
all the legacy that you're leaving. You want to, I needed you weak, and it took you a decade to get you to your knees. My grace is all that you need. Some translations, most translations. My grace is sufficient. Do I believe that? I mean, I know that. And it preaches super good. Like five people over here, amen me. Thank you, Miss Diana. But do I believe that the grace of God is all that I need? Like I know it, but do I know it? I believe it, but do I believe it? Meaning, do I live it out? Does it come out of my mouth? Does it come out, does it come out of my actions? Does it come out of my investments? And I don't mean like financial, like investing in Bitcoin. I mean like my investment in my time, my investment in my relationships. Do I believe that the grace of God is all that I need? The grace of God is sufficient. And so I think, what does it look like if I believe that? It means that anyone that has stabbed me in the back before, it doesn't matter going forward because the grace of God is sufficient. It doesn't matter if they never reciprocated an ounce of love. I'm going to love no matter what. It doesn't matter if they cut me a paycheck. I'm going to invest and serve in the kingdom of God. That's what it means to live out the grace of God, that it is enough. I'm not going to worry if I'm going to be able to put food in my pantry this week because the grace of God is enough. He said that the righteous will never go hungry. I'm not going to stress about whether I'm going to be able to sleep at night because the grace of God is enough that he said that the righteous will have peace and sleep. I'm not going to worry about this sickness in my body because the grace of God is all that I need. And so I am healed and made whole. The anxiety that has been running rampant in my head, uh, the grace of God is enough so you have no position or authority to keep me back. The depression in my spirit cannot keep me down any longer because the grace of God is all that I need. His grace is enough. His power works best in my weakness. So when people are stabbing in me, stabbing me in the back, not reciprocating an ounce of love, never cutting me a paycheck, never giving me an opportunity to use my gifts, it doesn't matter because the power of God works best when I'm weak. So my encouragement to you is this, and this is where I'll close. I ask God, Three times to remove this thorn, this piercing, this stake in my side. And God answered back, my grace is all that you need. My power works best in weakness. If a piercing in the hands of my Savior was enough, then it's enough for me. If a piercing through his feet was enough for my Savior, then it's enough for me. 
If a crown of thorns was enough for my Savior to be pushed down on his brow in in a sense of mockery and a spitting in the face, then it's enough for me. That this, if Jesus himself could be mocked and persecuted and pierced with a thorn, then it's enough for me. Isn't my grace sufficient for you? Isn't my grace enough for you? That the display on the cross of Calvary, is that enough? Because, just being honest, my human mind takes over. Look at all that I've done for you, Jesus. I've given over a decade of my life, which I know is not a lot. But, but, but when you're 30 years old, I've given it all for you. And I have nothing to, return, to show for it. I feel like I should be walking high and mighty. Because I see other people that have walked the same journey or close to it that I have. And it looks like they got their life put together. At least that's what I see on, on the Insta Snap. Yeah, but Jesus was pierced with a crown of thorns and pierced with thorns in his hands and pierced with thorns in his feet. And if that was enough for him, Ryan, isn't that enough for you? So I conclude with this. We're going to take communion. And uh, as we do, It represents just that, that Jesus would come and he would die for you and as you. And not just die any death, die a death that he didn't deserve to die, first and foremost. That he never deserved to die because James says that the the only way that you can die is by sin. Because the result of sin is death. And yet Jesus had no sin. He had no blemish. And yet here he is volunteering for death. And not just in any undeserved death, but a death so painful that they, have to in, they had to invent, the Romans invented a word for it. Excruciating. That, that, that there was no term to describe this idea that they would not just put you on, but stretch you out over a cross where your sockets would pop out, that you would begin to bleed and beyond recognition and be beyond recognition, Jesus was. That the Romans invented the term in the word excruciating. That if Jesus, if you could do excruciating pain, if you could go through excruciating, painful death, if you could be mocked, if you could be spat on, if your the little possessions that you had could be gambled away in a game. If you could go through that, I can go through a little old Christian being a thorn in my side. If you could go through that, I can go through a little backstabbing. If you could go through that, I could go through a little persecution. If you could go through that, I could give up my time with not any human being here on earth knowing about it. If you can go through that, they can push down my gifts and my talents and everything you've given me all they want because when I am weak, Then I am strong. When Jesus got to his lowest point, his weakest point, it says that he went down to the grave and he took the keys to hell. He took the keys to death. And then three days later, he resurrected. 
Jesus, if you could do that, I can go through a little a thorn in my side. If you could go through that when I've laid it all on the field, I'll continue to, to do it because your grace is sufficient. So as you come and take communion, the bread representing the body that was broken, beaten, bruised, spat on, mocked upon, that, that his brokenness, that he became broken so that wherever you're broken in your spirit, wherever you're broken in your mind, wherever you're broken in your body, you will be put back together. And then his blood was spilled out so that in your, in your, in, in your soul, where we've come short, where we've missed the mark, where we said, your grace really isn't that sufficient for me. Uh, we didn't say that, right? We would never say, but, but we acted it out. God, I, dude, those backstabbing Christians, I, I'm done with church. I'm done because I can't do that no more. I'm done with evangelizing, no. I, I, I'm, I'm done with people. I'm just all peopled out. That, the, the, that, that when we've sinned and missed the mark, that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to wash us clean and be made new. So when you come and you take a communion, it's a moment to first repent and then second, to be made whole. In your weakness, his power is made perfect. So I'm, I, I'm weird, if you haven't figured that out that I believe in a weird way that when we take this little pita bread and this little grape juice, that when we take it and I dip it in here and I go sit back at my seat, that the power of Jesus that gave him the strength to hang on that cross, the power of Jesus that allowed every single prophecy, even down to the point where the bones wouldn't be broken, the power of Jesus where he would resurrect from the grave on the third day is in this bread and communion juice. And when I take it, every insecurity, every weakness, every everything that's been plaguing my mind, plaguing my body, every sin that has blemished me this week is made new and I'm made whole. Amen. So when you come and take communion, I encourage you that there's nothing special about this particular juice or this particular pita bread or the little communion cups. There's nothing special about that. But what it is, is your faith coupled with this symbolism that we're remembering what Jesus did. So before we take communion, I would like to pray for you. If you don't mind standing up on your feet. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message. 